0: We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at one dollar. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest Therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com/gold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P.com/gold. The Peter Schiff Show. It's been a while since my last podcast, and I've gotten quite a few emails from people wondering. Just what happened to me? Well, first of all, I was out of the country for about a week, and I did manage to get one podcast off from my hotel room. But then when I got back, I was really kind of backed up with work. And then by the time I caught up, I came down with a case of laryngitis, uh, which has still not completely gone away. And so you'll probably hear it in my voice, and I'll do my best to get through this podcast. But I waited a while because I was trying to get some of my voice back. I have no idea why I lost it. But it was very frustrating because I actually had a lot to say, but wasn't really able to speak my mind. But I got to get something out now before people really start to get worried about me. But in any event, I want to start off by talking about the stock market. Um, the Dow hit another new record high today. Intraday, we got to, I think, um, eight twenty-four. We closed at 19,796 getting closer and closer to the 20,000 level. NASDAQ, on the other hand, that was down today. But one of the interesting things about this, of course, is the rally is supposedly predicated on Donald Trump and all of the great things are going to happen as a result of Trump being president. And, of course, the very people who are buying this Trump rally are the same people that were telling us what a disaster it would have been if Trump won. So, you know, he won, but now they've reversed course. I'm sure if Hillary won, the market might be rallying now. They would just put a different spin. They'd be saying, oh, we dodged the bullet of Trump. And, you know, Hillary's coming in. The markets were looking for an excuse, I think, to rally. And there were a lot of shorts in the market. So now we're rallying. But the interesting thing about this is if you remember when Donald Trump was running for president, Remember, he kept talking about the big, fat, ugly bubble, right? And I'm not referring to his comments about Rosie O'Donnell, right? When he was talking about a big, fat, ugly bubble, he was talking about the stock market, right? Well, now, if you listen to Donald Trump talk, he loves the stock market. He's taking credit for the gains in the stock market. He wants us to judge him based on when he was elected, not based on when he's inaugurated, because he's trying to claim credit for the gains in the stock market. Well, wait a minute. If the stock market was a big, fat, ugly bubble before Trump was elected, and if now the stock market is much higher, isn't it bigger? Isn't it fatter? Isn't it uglier now than it was then? Well, if that's the case, Why doesn't Donald Trump still call it a bubble? Well, because when he was a candidate, it was Obama's bubble. Now it's his bubble. He owns the bubble and therefore he doesn't want it to pop. He doesn't want to even acknowledge that it's a bubble. He wants it to keep going up. He wants people to feel good about the fact that he's president and he wants that to be reflected In a rising stock market. So, no one even seems to get the irony of this. You know, they're still looking back at, well, you know, when Reagan won, we had a big rally in the stock market. Yeah, but A, not initially. And B, the market was cheap when Reagan was elected. I mean, we had a huge bear market. I pointed this out from 1966 to really 1982. But yes, when Reagan was first elected, there was a honeymoon and stocks rallied for like the first month because it was going to be a big change from the Carter years. But then we had a bear market for two years. Stocks went down about 25 percent, even though they started off cheap. But now stocks are very expensive and they're very expensive based on very low interest rates which are not nearly as low now as they were when Trump was elected. In fact, the yield on the 10-year Treasury got above 2.5 today for the first time in two years. Yields are going up every day. Oil prices also, we traded intraday above $54 a barrel. This is a new, like, year-and-a-half high. And it's not just uh, oil prices, it's a lot of other industrial commodity prices that are rising because people are expecting more inflation. Well, when Reagan came in, we already had high inflation, and the expectation was inflation was going to come down. Well, now we have low inflation, and the expectation is it's going to go up, except it's going to go up a lot more than people think. Also, of course, when Reagan came in, I mentioned this, interest rates were extremely high, and they had no place to go but down. Now, they're extremely low, and they have no place to go but up. So the market is in very different uh, position now than it was then. And you know, Donald Trump is not even promising the same type of tax reform as was Ronald Reagan. He's promising you know, maybe some middle class cuts, but not big drops in the marginal rate of tax. Um, so it's not even going to be as transformative. And of course, I mentioned this before what enabled all of the Reagan tax cuts was enormous debt. We had all this untapped borrowing capacity, and we were able to sell the bonds to the private sector because we offered high yields. Well, now we're $20 trillion in debt. We have no capacity to run up the debt uh, to the same degree, nor can we sell it because we can't afford to pay the interest. Yet despite that, you still have people in the Trump team talking about issuing 50, 100-year bonds. They can't even issue 30-year bonds or even 10-year bonds. They have to keep rolling over these T-bills. I mean, they can keep talking about, you know, lengthening the maturity on the national debt, but there's actually no possibility that we can afford to do that. So there really isn't any precedent between now and the Reagan era. And at least, you know, Reagan was talking about big cuts in government spending. He didn't make them, but he campaigned on it. Trump didn't even talk about it. Trump campaigned on more government spending. And that's a promise that's a lot easier to keep. If you're willing to take on the debt and if the Federal Reserve is willing to cooperate. But, you know, people have all this hope that we can, you know, have this deregulation. Look, Ronald Reagan campaigned on getting rid of the Department of Energy, and it had only been around for a few years because it was started by Jimmy Carter. Well, the Department of Energy is still here, right? <laughs> so, you know, are we even going to be able to get rid of Obamacare? I don't know. They're already backtracking on that, right? It's very difficult. But a lot of the deregulations, a lot of people are telling me, hey, Trump's a businessman. Yeah, but government isn't a business. It doesn't run like a business. I mean, so it's very difficult to think, well, I'm going to get rid of these inefficiencies of government. Government by its very nature is inefficient. And a lot of this spending, of course, is on autopilot. So it's a lot easier said than done. Sure, Trump talks about waste, fraud, and abuse, but hey, Everybody talks about that, but all that waste, fraud, and abuse has a constituency. And of course, Trump has to work with Republicans in Congress and maybe Democrats. They all want to get reelected, especially in the House. They're up for reelection in two years. And so, you know, it's going to be hard to have any kind of cuts in government spending that's going to endanger uh, the reelection prospects of all these incumbents. So, this is a lot of mispriced optimism. You know, even if you go back, to Bush. Remember when Bush 43 came into office after 8 years of Clinton, hey, the market was excited, but you know, the bubble was already deflating that we inflated under under Clinton, and what did Bush do? He cut taxes and increased government spending. Remember the initial stimulus checks or he came in, so he did Keynesian stimulus, and what was the result? Bigger deficits right? The surpluses went away. We got deficits. What happened? The stock market did not do well under the eight years of Bush. It basically went sideways. It went down and then came back up, but it didn't really make much headway. But you know what went up when Bush was president? Gold, oil, emerging markets, because the dollar tanked. The whole bubble, in fact, the dollar bubble that we had in the second term of Clinton deflated during the first and second term of Bush. We've got an even bigger dollar bubble now that blew up in the second term of Obama, and so now Trump is inheriting that bubble too. And if he's going to do the same thing as Bush, turn, you know, make the deficits bigger, then the dollar bubble's gonna deflate that much quicker, and the, the bull market in gold will resume. The bull market in other commodities will resume. So really the opposite of what investors expect is going to happen. But, you know, this honeymoon is going on and everybody thinks this is great. And the narrative is feeding on itself. But people are ignoring the big rise in interest rates and assuming that none of it matters, right, that all of a sudden higher rates don't matter because we're going to get all this extra growth from these so-called tax cuts or government stimulus. Well, the reality is, if interest rates rise, it doesn't matter about the stimulus. The sedative that will result from higher rates will more than offset it. Plus, the markets are assuming that higher interest rates will have no effect on U.S. asset prices or the economy. And they're wrong on both those counts. We have a bubble economy. If rates go up, the bubble pricks. If you move interest rates higher, by definition, stocks and real estate are less valuable. They're more valuable in, the lower the rate. As rates go up, their values come down. Multiples have to go down. Plus, the whole economy is built on cheap money. Yes, it's a phony foundation, and but we take it away, and that phony economy that we erected on that foundation of cheap money comes toppling down. And I don't believe that Trump, nor any of the Republicans in Congress— want that to happen. They don't want it to happen because they know they're going to get blamed for it. So what they want to do is kick the can down the road to the best that they can. They want to continue to extend and pretend that is business as usual. And even though we might have some more uh, business, uh, you know, knowledgeable guys in the Trump cabinet, it's not going to change any of these dynamics. Now, I wanted to go back and talk about the jobs numbers that came out a a week ago. And I guess I haven't done a podcast since then. And I want to go back because these were supposedly a good report. But again, beneath the surface, it was another bad report. And of course, this is the same type of report that candidate Trump would have been critical of. But now that he's president-elect, all of a sudden he probably wants to take credit for it. But the, the consensus was for 170,000 jobs to be created, Now, we beat it by 8,000, but we revised down the prior month from 161 to 142. So the net of the two months was that fewer jobs were created than was originally reported. But the big number that the papers jumped all over was the unemployment rate, which moved from 4.9 to 4.6. That was a nine-year low. That is a lower unemployment rate than at any point during the Obama presidency. But- You know, what people didn't talk about was the negatives in the report, the downtick once again in the labor force participation rate, the fact that real wages actually dropped one-tenth of a percent. They were supposed to rise two-tenths. That was the first drop in wages all year, first time that happened. But more importantly, the reason that the unemployment rate went down was because another 446,000 Americans Left the labor force in November. And again, we saw the number of multiple job holders hit a new all time record high. In fact, I think over the past three months, we've seen full time employment decline, decline by 99,000 jobs, while part time employment has surged by 638,000 jobs. So that trend continued in November and was really unreported in the news. You know, we get all this talk about fake news, fake news, fake news. Well, you know what? Whatever you hear on CNN and on CNBC and on NBC or CBS, that's all the fake news, right? These guys simply regurgitate propaganda that's been spoon-fed to them by the government. You know, if you actually want to get the real news, it's the fake news channels that are probably going to deliver it to you, right? I don't even know if they— uh, mention whatever, anything that I'm doing, but I'm sure they think that everything I do is fake news. But I mean, this is about as real as it's going to get. And in fact, the reason that Donald Trump is the president-elect is because the economy has always been much weaker than all these fake news organizations were reporting. When President Obama was talking about the fiction peddlers, he was talking about the fake news people. Well, the fiction peddlers were actually the fact peddlers. The people that were talking about how great things were, they were the ones that were peddling fiction. That is why Donald Trump won the election. It's not because the Russians rigged it. It's because the economy was a disaster and the voters knew it. That's why so many of them voted uh, for um, Donald Trump. And forget about this whole thing about, oh, you know, he didn't win the popular vote. Yeah, because he didn't need to. He only needed to win the electoral vote. I bet if if the election was about popular vote... He would have been in California. He would have been in New York. He would have been in some of these big states. He would have spent more time there, and he would have got a lot more votes because the economy is rotten there, too. And he would have tapped into that if he had to. But he's a smart guy. He's a businessman, and he knew how to win the election. He knew what the rules were, and he played by the rules. You know, now, of course, you have some people wanting to rewrite the rules. They're they're trying to hope that the Electoral College doesn't vote for him. Right, and I've said this before. You know, this is the first time that I've ever heard conversations about the Electoral College not rubber stamping the popular vote. I generally like that. I I love that. I mean, I think they should just the Electoral College should just elect Ron Paul. Just vote for him. Ignore what what the uh, the, the voters did. I mean, that's the whole thing about the Electoral College. They're supposed to be a deliberative body. They're not supposed to be a rubber stamp. The Founding Fathers knew that the average American was too dumb for, to vote for president. That's why they wanted him voting for electors who were supposedly smarter. And this is when the, you know, you had to be 21 to vote. And, you know, but when you were 20 and male, right. And in generally you had to own property or pass the literary test or poll tax. These are the regulations or the restrictions that were imposed by states. Remember, if you were 21 years old in you know, like, you know, 1790, chances are, you know, that you had been working for six or seven years, right? You maybe finished school at 12 or 13. By the time you're 21, you've probably been married for five years and have two or three kids. I mean, a person today doesn't reach the level of that maturity in today's society in probably 30, 35. I mean, people stay in school until they're in their mid-20s, maybe later 20s. There are people that stay in school, they don't even graduate, they get a doctorate they haven't worked a day in their life, and they're pushing 30. And they have they're not married. They have no kids. They don't own any property. I mean, I mean, so we have the equivalent, really, of 10 year olds voting today based on, you know, the criteria from back then. So obviously the people who are voting are not capable of making good decisions. Yet despite that, they still managed to vote for Trump over Hillary Clinton. But all this is a bunch of noise with respect to uh, the, uh, the 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 Electoral College somehow deciding that now is the time that they're going to vote based on the fact that, you know, the Russians rigged the election. It wasn't the Russians. It was the lousy economy. And quite frankly, the fact that the public is getting fed up with corruption and Hillary Clinton is the poster poster girl for corruption. She is the face of corruption in American politics. And a lot of people are fed up with it, especially given the weakness that was underlying the economy that so many people ignored. But I said this before, just because a weak economy got uh, Trump elected, doesn't mean that now the problems are going to be solved, because we elected him. Not even close. The problems are here, they're bigger than ever, and nothing that he's actually proposing is going to do anything about it. We need major restructuring of our economy. We need to acknowledge the bubbles that exist in the asset markets. We need to allow higher interest rates, not because it's gonna be easy, but because it's gonna be difficult. The market needs to go down, the stock market, the real estate market, government needs to shrink. And that includes all the entitlements that um, that Trump promised not to touch. And we don't need the government to spend more money on infrastructure. To the extent that we're gonna have infrastructure spending, it needs to come from the private sector. But to be honest, we can't afford it. We're broke. We have other things that we need to do uh, besides uh, building up infrastructure. If we can afford it, great. But we have a lot of other things that need to be done because we have to repair the damage that was done by you know generations of profligate spending and cheap money courtesy the Fed. But none of that's going to stop, right? The budget deficits are going to get bigger, not smaller, and the cheap money is going to keep on flowing. And we are headed to a real crisis. That's going to be the only thing that's going to give our leaders the political courage to do the right thing because things are going to be so bad that they're going to get voted out of office either way. So then, when their backs are to the wall and they have no choice, they'll do the right thing. Now, I don't think that's really courage. Courage would be to do it in advance, but there's really no precedent for any politician acting in the self interest of the country. Above his own self-interest, it's usually when they, you know, they've run out of maneuvering room and they've got no choice. Okay, fine, I'm finished either way, so I might as well do something good. I want to mention one other thing too about the ECB that also helped the dollar. Although the dollar rally seemed to have, you know, run out of some steam today, and we did get a little bit of a bounce in gold and more particular silver. Silver has been leading gold, and that's probably a good sign. But that's also because silver is both a precious metal and an industrial metal. And all the industrial metals are going up. So silver is participating in that. But the ECB came out and extended their QE program, I think by an extra nine months. But they did announce a taper, right? They said starting in March, instead of buying 80 billion euros a month, we're going to buy 60 billion. So the markets initially weren't expecting that. The euro bounced a little bit and then quickly sold off just on the idea that we're going to get more more qe but you know i doubt it i doubt it you look at where the euro is you look at the big run-up in oil prices and other commodity prices the way they measure inflation in the eurozone right now it's about 0.8 0.6 0.8 year over year But wait till January and February. Wait till the Europeans are looking at 50% or more year-over-year increases in oil prices. And it's not just oil. Again, it's other prices. It won't take much for year-over-year inflation rates to actually pierce through 2%. And they can't have that. You know, they already got a lot of bad press in Germany just by extending QE, right? The Germans don't like it. The Bundesbank isn't liking it. But as long as inflation is this low, right? The ECB, Mario Draghi, has cover to keep doing this. But if inflation hits 2%, game over, right? Because their mandate is to keep inflation close to, but beneath 2%. 2% is a hard ceiling. They can't go above it. They don't have any wiggle room like we have here. We don't have any real ceiling. You know, our inflation ceiling is like our debt ceiling, where it's going to constantly increase it, right? It's never going to matter. But in the Eurozone, I don't think it's going to be that way. So we get inflation up to 2%. They got to, they got to end this program. In fact, if it looks like it's getting close, because they can't stop it on a dime. So I, I think the market's betting that we're actually going to have all the QE that the Europeans are uh, are saying. It's not going to happen. Even Japan might have to back away from QE. I think the last QE man standing could be the Fed, because everybody else might be ending their programs. Well, we're rounding, like, you know, launching them all over again. Remember, you know, we got it all started, and then because everybody thought it was so successful here, they emulated it. But it was never a success here; it was an abysmal failure. It's just that nobody recognized it. But I think the higher inflation that has been unleashed worldwide will cause these other central banks to turn around, but not us, right? We we need the inflation, and we have no ability whatsoever to combat it. Because we are the world's biggest debtor. We owe everybody money. Even the poorest countries in the world are our creditors. And you know the debt has exploded and will continue to explode. And so we can talk the talk when it comes to fighting inflation, but it is impossible to walk the walk. And the markets still haven't figured that out. They're saying, oh, we're going to have higher inflation. so The Fed's going to fight it. So rates are going to go up more than we think. Therefore, the dollar is going to go up and gold is going to go down. The reality is we're going to have a lot more inflation, even more than the markets think, precisely because the Fed can't fight it, even if they do raise rates slightly. And they're supposed to raise rates you know, later this week on Wednesday. We'll find out if we got the second quarter point rate hike in a year. And at this point, with rates already so high uh, on the long end and the stock market rallying like it's going out of style, probably the Fed risks more not raising rates than raising them. So they'll actually probably do it this time. But I think they're going to try to take the sting out of it by uh, you know, reinforcing the idea that rates are going to stay lower for longer, despite the fact that Trump's been elected. But even to the degree that the Fed does raise rates, it's going to be at a very slow pace. Maybe we won't get another hike. Maybe we'll just get one hike in 2017 if we even get a hike, because again, we could be back in recession in the first half of 2017. And the Fed ain't hiking in a recession. They're going to be cutting. They're going to be doing QE4. But even to the extent that rates go up, they will go up very slowly, and they will go up more slowly than the rate by which inflation is increasing, even as measured by the government's own inflation measures. And so what that means is that even if nominal rates rise, real rates will be falling. And that is a great environment for gold. That's the environment we had Uh, during at least the second half of the Bush uh, presidency, when the Fed under Greenspan started to raise rates a quarter point every meeting. And during all of those hikes, the gold price kept going higher and higher and higher, and the dollar kept going lower and lower and lower. The only thing that reversed the trend was the financial crisis of 2008. And I don't think we're going to have a similar crisis this time. I think the dollar will fall until the dollar is the crisis i think in order to prevent a sovereign debt crisis and a worse financial crisis than 08 that the federal reserve will sacrifice the dollar and just like you know trump was criticizing the stock market bubble when he was a candidate but he's embraced it now as, as president elect he will do an about face on the fed he was critical of the fed and yelling while he was running for office Believe me, he is going to do an about-face, just like with Mitt Romney, who became his buddy, even though he didn't become Secretary of State. They all buddy-buddy. He's going to get buddy-buddy with Janet Yellen, because uh, Trump needs Yellen, and Yellen, of course, needs Trump if she wants to get reappointed. So they they need each other, and he's going to do an about-face there. So what's going to be sacrificed is the dollar. And of course, if you go back to the campaign itself, Trump campaigned on a weaker dollar. He wants a weaker dollar. He says these other countries are manipulating their currency because he's saying their currencies are too cheap, meaning the dollar is, is too high. And so he wants to try to bring back some type of trade advantage by debasing the currency. And that's one promise that he's actually going to be able to keep. Hey, one final thought. I want to encourage everybody, if you haven't already opened up your gold money account, to do it today, go to goldmoney.com. And join the monetary revolution, right? This is the real revolution. This is the real vote that counts. This is where you vote with your pocketbook, literally, by rejecting government money and embracing real money, free market constitutional money, gold. Gold is money. Gold is what the Constitution says is money. The government has been ignoring that. You know, our founding fathers were using gold as money. Now, you have the ability to use gold as money yourself, right? Right. You know, a lot of people used to use Federal Reserve notes despite the fact that they constantly lost value because you could earn a decent rate of interest. There was some safety keeping it in the bank, and it was convenient. Well, now you can't earn any interest. The banks are all insolvent, and hey, it's convenient, but you know what? Now gold is even more convenient. So uh, Federal Reserve notes have lost their only advantage because you have a gold money account, and uh, believe me, accessing your gold is is easier than accessing your dollar deposits in a bank. If you want to spend them, if you want to, especially if you're talking about trans-border transactions, you want to send money across borders, you don't have to worry about foreign exchange, you don't have to worry about wire fees, you can do it for free, you can do it instantly. We need to build a real community of people who can completely transact in gold, where, you know, your employer can pay your wages in gold, where landlords can collect their rents in gold. Why do we even need to leave gold if we can save gold yet transact with it earn it and spend it as easily as we could uh dollars paper dollars then you know why i mean if you can get paid in gold why get paid in anything else if your gold is just as liquid as any other currency because we know it's safer to hold and instead of having to deposit in the bank where it's at risk you can keep it safe in a vault a private vault uh, where it's in your name. But the reason I wanted to bring it up is there's still time to get into their contest. You know, once you sign up for gold money, you can refer other people. They give you your own proprietary link and you can send it to your friends or your coworkers or family members. And if they use that link to sign up, you get some free gold. In fact, when you sign up originally, they'll give you up to 5% of your deposit extra in gold to a maximum of, uh, of a half a gram. So you're always going to start off with some free gold. But they announced a, a contest last week, and it goes through uh, late January. But it's a, a contest where the winner gets two free tickets to the Super Bowl. And it also comes with three nights hotel and, uh, and airfare. And I'll tell you the story behind how this happened. So James Turk was in a... A poker game, a charity poker game, and he won these tickets to the Super Bowl. But he decided that he wasn't going to use them himself. He was going to donate them to gold money, and gold money decided to basically, you know, raffle them off to people who encourage more people to use gold money. So the way it's going to work is the, the top 10 refers are going to be entered into a drawing, and the first place winner is going to get the Super Bowl tickets. There is a prize for second and third place. And in fact, I think the top 100 finishers all will get gold money, t-shirts and baseball hats. But the 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 real goal here is to get as many people signed up as possible because the more people that we have on this network, the more valuable the network it becomes. Because as we have more people on there, more merchants are going to want to you know accept gold and even though you don't need the merchant to accept gold right because you get a free debit card so you can access you can use your gold any at any merchant that takes mastercard but it's better if the merchant will take the gold instead of the mastercard because now it's cheaper for the merchant it's cheaper for you because you don't have to pay the half a percent fee to sell the gold there's no fee to you it's cheaper than for the merchant than mastercard and visa and to the extent that we can get a whole community of consumers and vendors transacting in gold, the bigger the community, the better and the more valuable. So don't just do it for yourself. Don't just do it because it's a smart financial move to save gold instead of dollars, but do it because it's a good political move for the country. This is a movement. This could be a real revolution, a monetary revolution that can enforce a political revolution. Remember, when the uh, our founding fathers fought the original American Revolution. Only about a third of the Americans actually wanted independence from the British. So, you know, you don't, everybody doesn't have to agree. But I don't think we need anywhere near that high a percentage. I mean, if we get a couple of percent of people to reject Federal Reserve notes and just start transacting in gold, using gold money, that could be enough uh, to start a monetary revolution that could be every much as important in shifting the direction of this country Than was the initial revolution against the British uh, back in the 1770s.
1: Today's financial advisors behave like pro wrestling TV commentators. They scream that the recovery is strong, debt is manageable, inflation is low, and that the Federal Reserve has everything under control. They may be oblivious, but the danger is real. If you live in the United States and have $25,000 or more to invest, call 800-727-7922. That's 800-727-7922. Non-U.S. residents access similar strategies through EuroPacific Bank at europacbank.com. Pacific Capital and Euro Pacific Bank are affiliated companies.
0: Hi, this is Peter Schiff, and long before foreign governments were buying gold, I urged my clients to put 5 to 10 percent of their portfolios into physical precious metals.